you have a copy of the Word of God, if you would like to turn with me, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're slowing down just a little bit in these last few verses. I'm going to begin in verse 15 and read through verse 17, but the focus is really going to be on the very first line of verse 16, on the inspiration of the Scriptures. So let's listen to what God's Word says, 2 Timothy. Let me, by the way, before I read that, open your bulletin again to uh, under the announcements section, the very last paragraph there. It's a very interesting paragraph from the large Westminster Larger Catechism. And the question is asked, how is the Word of God to be read? First of all, that's an interesting question uh, to, to even ask that question. How is the Word of God to be read? The Holy Scriptures are to be read with a a high and reverent esteem of them with a firm persuasion that they are the very Word of God and that He only can enable us to understand them with desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God revealed in them with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. Well, there's a lot there, but obviously as we approach the Word of God, that's how we ought to approach it, it's how it ought to be read, it's how it ought to be heard. So let's now hear God's word from 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the inspired, the infallible, the authoritative word of the living God. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that there is such a thing as the word of God. It is your voice to us. It is your word. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us faith to receive and believe it? Would you give us strength to obey it, to live it out? Speak to us, Lord, through this section of your Holy Scriptures today. And may we understand and believe what you have taught us in Jesus' name. Amen. God's Word has been under attack from the very beginning of creation. Uh, We know that uh, because the very first temptation in human history was directed against the Word of God. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent approached Eve and said, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan sought to cast doubt on the words of of the Lord. Uh, the relationship between God and our first parents, Adam and Eve, was based on God speaking to them and them learning about him. And, and, and so God was instructing them in the garden day by day. Uh, but this relationship was broken when, uh, when Eve listened to the serpent and questioned God's word. Uh, and, and, and so 
Eve doubted, and the whole human race fell in sin with Adam and Eve. And uh, like them, the moment you and I begin to doubt uh, the the Bible, does it doubt the Word of God? Uh, we are in trouble, and uh, we know that good things will never come of questioning the Word of God. That's why we must, first of all, in our lives with the Word of God, be assured of the divine inspiration of the Scriptures. That's what we're going to look at today. The divine inspiration of the Scriptures. Everything concerning our faith, our practice, our living out of our faith uh, depends upon the Scriptures. And so if the Bible is not inspired of God, or if we begin to to doubt it, if we don't believe it, then really the Christian faith falls apart. Um, a lot of Christians today seem to don't, not make a big deal out of the Bible. They, they sort of have a faith that's based on experience. But our faith must be grounded in the Word, the words of the living God. I would say in the church today, in the Christian church, there are two kinds of people. Uh, there's one group that believes that the Bible is the inspired, the infallible, the inerrant Word of God. The other group believes that scriptures are a collection of human writings that may contain some spiritual and helpful uh, things, uh, maybe even uh, divine things, but that nevertheless it contains many errors. There's a mixture of the human and divine so that it's not fully inspired. And that second group of the people I would offer to you today is no different than Eve when she believed the serpent. They have believed the lie of the devil and they consequently end up in unbelief. If you don't accept the full inspiration of the scriptures, then you will end up in unbelief. So the future of the church, the future of your own personal growth in grace and in the Lord depends upon your trust, your confidence and your commitment to the Scriptures as the inspired Word of God. So today I hope that your confidence will be built up in God's written Word. So we're looking at that first line in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the first thing to do is to ask the question, what does it mean that... Uh, the scriptures are inspired by God. He begins simply with the phrase, all scripture. And the, the word scripture there is a Greek word that can simply be translated writing. Writing. And obviously Paul's not speaking about just any kind of writing here. Uh, looking at the context, I read verse 15. Uh, he, we see he's talking about the sacred writings or the holy scriptures. And so all scripture refers to the whole of God's sacred writings uh, contained in the books of the Old and New Testaments. Now, obviously, the, the New Testament was not finished yet. Uh, but, but John Gill, in his commentary, writes, he says he, he means, Paul means the whole of it. Not only the books of the Old Testament, but of the New. The greatest part of which was now written for the second epistle to Timothy is thought by most to be the last of Paul's epistles. And so not long after that, the close of the first century, the New Testament canon was completed. 
the cannon was closed, and we have, uh, since that time, uh, held to these 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. The Scriptures, the very words of God. Well, verse 16 says that Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that's uh, a word we need to look at for a moment. Uh, the word inspiration in the English language means to breathe in. To inspire is to inhale, if you will. Uh, but that's not really the best translation of the Greek word here. Because the Greek word is theopneustos, which means God breathed. It means uh, breathed out. Uh, so other translations, you may have a translation that says all scripture is breathed out by God. And that's actually more accurate than to say inspired. So we could say that the, the scriptures have been expired by God. That doesn't sound right. Uh, you know, expiration uh, usually we think of is, is a little differently. So we don't use that word. The word inspiration is still the standard term that's used in, in uh, books of theology and so on. And so it's still good to, to use that word. We have to understand, though, that it, we're really talking about God breathing out his word. Um, and by the way, it's not the writers of Scripture who were inspired. Uh, they weren't inspired and then, you know, out of that inspiration just wrote what they felt inspired to write. That's not what is taking place. It's actually uh, their, their writings that were inspired. The Scriptures, the writings were the, the part that's inspired, not the writers. Um, so scripture is the very breath of God. When you speak, you're breathing out. You're not breathing in. You're not inhaling. You're exhaling. So it's, it, it's the same with God. And he speaks. He spoke through the mouth of the Holy Spirit and through the words written down by the human authors. Yes, there were human authors. But the ultimate authorship is God. And the source is God, so the words are God's. In the early uh, 20th century, uh, a Princeton uh, theologian by the name of Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield was probably the uh, greatest defender of the inspiration of Scripture in his day. And really his work, I don't think, can be much improved upon. And, and if you have a chance to read anything by B.B. Warfield... Uh, on the scriptures, you will be blessed. But Warfield wrote that God's breath is the irresistible outflow of his power, and therefore the scriptures are a divine product. Okay, they were given through uh, the, the instrumentality of human, yes, and even sinful men, but the scriptures, the end product, the byproduct, uh, is a divine product, and therefore... A perfect product. Uh, the scriptures, as originally written, were, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, immediately inspired by God. As soon as they were written down, it, those scriptures were uh, the words of God. It's interesting in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus of course, several times came back with Scripture. Uh, he uh, resisted temptation and defeated the devil that day with Scripture. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, from the breath of God, from the voice 
of God, if you will. And so Paul, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, is merely echoing what Jesus uh, taught, that Scripture is God-breathed, that it comes from his mouth. Uh, the Apostle Peter also gives us some very helpful instruction. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he writes that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so the scriptures did not come about uh, in any sense uh, by the, the individual human writers, uh, only that they were instruments. It didn't come from them. It came through them. It came from God. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that what scripture says, yes, we can say Paul the Apostle said, but what scripture said in Paul's writings is really what God says uh, through Paul. Or through whoever. John Calvin said the biblical writers were secretaries of the Holy Spirit. Now that could be misleading. Uh, in some cases, God did dictate his words and, and the prophet uh, wrote them down directly. But in general, the, the apostles, the prophets, the authors of scripture were not merely writing by dictation. Uh, but God used their personalities their circumstances, uh, and, and their education, their style. And, but yet he moves them along. It says they were moved by the Holy Spirit in, in uh, 2 Peter. He carried them along so that the words they wrote were not their own, uh, but the pure word of God. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. That same uh, Greek word is used in Acts 27.15 to describe a ship that's caught in a storm that's carried along uh, uh, driven by the wind. And so the writers, you see, were driven along by that irresistible power of the Holy Spirit so that they could not err. And what they wrote was God's Word. And exactly how this took place varies from person to person, but the point is God superintended the process and therefore guaranteed the result. Uh, again, to quote John Gill, uh, a 19th century uh, Baptist uh, Reformed pastor in England. He said, the scriptures are the breath of God, the word of God, and not men. We need to make that. The source is never mankind, uh, human beings. The source is God. Of course, some will argue that the Bible has errors. They say it has contradictions, and so it can't be inspired and it is necessary to, to say this as we think about the doctrine of inspiration. First of all, that our doctrine of inspiration of the scriptures concerns, first and foremost, the original manuscripts. We are saying that the original manuscripts, as written down by the biblical writers, were inspired and were without error. We don't have the originals. What we do have is very faithful very reliable copies of the scriptures. And there have been variations at times between those copies. And there's a, a science, if you will, called, uh, called criticism, biblical criticism, literary criticism, and so forth. That's not a bad thing. It's, what it means is that you're looking at these different copies, you're comparing them, 
and your understanding where the, the variances are. Some are simply copyist errors. And, and most of these are, well, first of all, there, there aren't that many, uh, and they are easy to identify uh, by those who are engaged in this study. I'll quote Gordon R. Lewis, and he puts it this way. He says, although the original manuscripts have not been discovered, we know what they wrote. Uh, in numerous available copies, quotations, and translations, there is amazing agreement. Through some 20 centuries of laborious copying and printing, there have been no substantial variations of any important fact or doctrine. And so we can be confident the Bible that we have is the, the translation, the, the copies that we have, is the very word of the living God. And uh, we do have footnotes in there where there's a question about something. Some manuscripts, some ancient manuscripts may include a phrase and may not include a phrase. We take those things into account. But we have uh, the word of the living God, and we can be thankful for that. Now, it's a challenge for us to say, okay, uh, the Bible's inspired, but uh, it's a challenge for us to believe it. Again, because the Bible's under attack and because we are sinful and we tend to not want to listen to what God has to say by nature. Uh, So how does a person who is by nature not inclined to want to listen and heed and believe the Word of God, how do we come to believe and accept the Scriptures as the inspired Word of God? Well, there are lots of things that we can say. In fact, again, I'll, I'll point uh, point you to question four in your um, bulletin of the Westminster Larger Catechism. How does it appear that the scriptures are the word of God? And it, it gives you a, a number of things uh, there that uh, would in, should incline us to believe in the scriptures. But the bottom line, in the, in, the, in the end of that section, it says, The Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God bearing witness to, uh, bearing witness by and with the scriptures in the heart of man, that's alone able to fully persuade it that they are the very word of God. So uh, Calvin, John Calvin writes, if it be objected, how can this be known that the Bible is inspired? I answer both to disciples and to teachers, God is made known to be the author of it by the revelation of the same spirit. In other words, God inspired the scriptures and God also reveals and gives faith uh, to us in those same scriptures. So the Spirit of God who inspired Moses uh, will also enable us uh, to uh, understand, to believe, and receive uh, those scriptures as inspired. So on the one hand, we shouldn't be surprised that uh, there are doubts and questions that people don't believe the scriptures. uh, Because again, from the very beginning, Uh, The scriptures were questioned by the devil, and and that temptation has continued on every day since that time. Uh, Again, Calvin notes that only those who have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit have eyes to perceive what ought to have been visible to all, and yet is visible to the elect alone. In other words, to those whom God has given his Holy Spirit. So uh, you yourself... Uh, all of us in this room, none of us in room would have believed if the Holy Spirit hadn't opened our eyes and given us faith. Uh, the confession of faith puts it this way, our full persuasion and assurance 
of the infallible truth and divine authority of Scripture is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. That's what the Scripture teaches. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.12 says that now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God has not only inspired the Scriptures, but He gives us the faith to believe them. And God wants us to have not just a bare faith, not a weak faith, but a confident faith uh, that the Scriptures are the words of the living God. So that's why God gives us His Spirit, uh, so that we can uh, understand and take to heart what is being taught. And, And not only being assured that the Bible is the Word of God, but being assured of what it promises in there, particularly about our salvation. Remember verse 15, he talks about the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. So the assurance of inspiration of the scriptures is that which leads us to have a full assurance of our salvation. uh, Our salvation from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we do a daily devotional, as Stephen encouraged us to do, we need to depend on, the, on God the Holy Spirit. We need to come and say, Lord, increase my faith. Open my eyes to behold the truths that you reveal in your law. And build my confidence uh, and commitment to uh, the scriptures. Well, as we've talked about what inspiration means, what are some of the implications? I want to give three implications today uh, of the inspiration of the scriptures for the church and for our lives as Christians. And the first one is that if the the scriptures are the inspired word of God, then the Bible is infallible and inerrant. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, we read that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And when the Bible's talking about uh, uh, human beings, it says that they go astray from the womb speaking lies. As soon as we begin to speak, we speak lies. And uh, yet God cannot lie. He's never lied. He cannot lie. He never will lie. He's the Lord God of truth. As Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father, he says, Thy word is truth. There's no error in it. So the Bible is both infallible and inerrant. Infallibility refers to the fact that uh, it, it is incapable of error. Inerrancy refers to the state of things, that it is actually the case, that it doesn't contain error. Our own denomination, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, um, is committed to the doctrines of infallibility and inerrancy. In 2008, our General Senate approved the following statement. The Bible alone, being God-breathed, is the Word of God written, infallible in all that it teaches, and inerrant in the original manuscripts. Now, if the, ch- <coughs> excuse me, if the church does not hold to the inspiration of scriptures, 
then the doctrine of inerrancy also will fall and be lost. And so, and if inerrancy is not affirmed, then what happens is you go back to that second category of, of, of people who call themselves Christians and they begin to pick and choose. And you say, well, I think this part might be from God. This part I don't accept because, it, well, ultimately the reason often that is given because it doesn't go along with the times. It doesn't go along with what people think and believe today. So it, it, in, in essence, if you don't have an inspiration, you don't have inerrancy. And if you don't have inerrancy, uh, you, you can't have any certainty about the Bible at all. And people end up... Uh, Deciding on their own what they think is true and what isn't. And you know where that gets you. It doesn't, it gets you into a lot of trouble and a lot of unbiblical uh, views. For example, we think of a church that can affirm abortion or affirm homosexuality. Uh, they have to first deny the full inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. And, uh, and that's one way that they seek to get out from under uh, the Bible's authority. And that leads to the, the second uh, implication. If the Bible is inspired by God, then the Bible is fully authoritative. If God breathed out the word, then that word has full authority behind it. And we owe to Scripture the very same reverence that we owe to God. Uh, people have... Uh, tried to uh, uh, criticize evangelicals for wor- and, and they say we you know we are worshiping the Bible no we reverence the Bible we worship God but we reverence his word because it is his word and and, and there is um, the same reverence that we have to God we have to his word if you didn't respect God's word then you really don't respect God so Jesus treated the scriptures as authoritative uh, throughout his earthly ministry, how did uh, do a study? How, what did Jesus say about the scriptures? And uh, and you will find that he fully upheld them. Uh, and so, again, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus overcame those temptations by quoting scripture as the final authority. You know, the devil said something to Jesus, and Jesus. Ended the matter by quoting scripture. It is written. Uh, and, and so what Jesus is saying, if, if God's spoken to the matter, it's settled. If it's written, it's final. God has spoken. There is no higher authority. And um, the Westminster Confession says, The supreme judge, by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, can be no other than the Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture, and the Holy Spirit does speak in the scriptures. Um, well, the final appeal for all matters of faith, salvation, living the Christian life, are the God-breathed scriptures. That's why we talk about this: uh, the the doctrine of Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the final authority in the church. Uh, all these men I've been quoting. The confessions of faith and so on, uh, they do not have the same authority as the Bible. And they're, to the degree they're based on the Bible, then, then we ought to uh, accept them. But the Bible alone is the final authority. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as well as the Eastern Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church 
uh, add tradition uh, to the scriptures. They do not hold to scripture alone as the authority. And, um, and, and in doing so, they, they exalt the word of man to the same level as the Bible. And in the end, the, the words of men, the traditions, end up taking uh, the, the high ground and scripture must submit to the tradition. And on the other side, we see people who add to the word of God through so-called new revelations of the spirit. Uh, these are people who say that God is still speaking today outside of scripture. And, and so we have these new revelations, but they too take away from the authority of the Bible by bringing in another authority, and that is of experience. And, and often we see that, that these supposed new revelations of the spirit um, contradict the Bible. Uh, I believe the canon of Scripture is closed, and God meant it to be closed, uh, and that we're not to seek new revelations from Him, but to seek to understand the one revelation He's given us in Scripture. Think of the Christian faith uh, and the church as a building. Uh, first of all, uh, Scripture is the foundation, you see, for that building of the church. Everything must stand and does stand on uh, that foundation. In fact, Ephesians 2.20 says that the church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And, and I think Paul was talking about the, the, the foundation, meaning what they have written, what they have taught, uh, particularly in the scriptures. And, and certainly that the focus of the scriptures, as Jesus himself taught, is Christ himself. So the Bible is our final authority. The Bible, in fact, is the authority for uh, what it says about Jesus and our salvation. Uh, it is the sole authority for all that we are about in the church. And so, uh, as Isaiah said, you know, to the law and to the testimony. If people, if they do not speak according to to these things, then there is no light in them. So the Bible's authoritative. And that leads to the final implication of Scripture, and that is that if Scripture is inspired by God, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. Second Peter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So, so the Bible is a sufficient, it's a perfect word for all of life. And it's, uh, it doesn't need to be augmented. It shouldn't be because when we add to Scripture, we take away from it. It doesn't need to be augmented by the traditions and teachings and imaginations of men. Um, and so... Uh, it's sufficient. In chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession, it says the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. So uh, we don't bring anything to Scripture. Uh, theories and ideas from the unbelieving world and say, well, we need to supplement the scriptures with the teachings of uh, psychologists. No, no, no. Uh, God's given us all that we need to live the Christian life. Uh, and so uh, we don't use 
worldly ideas. We don't bring in fads and, and trends and philosophies of the day, or else we will take away from Scripture. John MacArthur wrote a book some years ago uh, titled Our Sufficiency in Christ, and he writes that the most dangerously effective assault on God's word, that's Think about that. He says this is the most dangerously effective assault on God's word. It's been fostered primarily by those who think of themselves as Bible believers, but who doubt the perfect sufficiency of Scripture. So the assault on the Bible is not only by those who simply deny that that God is speaking at all, uh, but it's, it's, it's under attack by those who say that the Bible's not enough, that we need the Bible plus psychology, the Bible plus marketing insights, the Bible plus gender studies, the Bible plus critical race theory, the Bible plus uh, technology, the Bible plus entertainment, experience. You can go on and on and on. Uh, We don't need the Bible plus anything. It's the word of the living God. You can't improve upon it. And if if it's inspired, it's sufficient for all of life. And godliness. And if it is sufficient, then we should not turn to the insights of the world, the unbelieving world, uh, to uh, achieve um, uh, success, victory. We shouldn't turn to the world for guidance uh, or instruction in the way to heaven. Now, obviously, there are things that we do turn to human beings for. We go to medical doctors. Uh, we, we go to people who can fix our um, broken automobiles and so forth. But we're talking about for the things that the Scripture has been given for, uh, we do wise to hold to Scripture alone because it's sufficient. And we'll delve more into it next week, but the rest of verse 16 says that, that, that the Scripture is profitable or useful for doctrine, reproof, instruction, uh, correction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is enough uh, to make you complete in Christ. It's enough. And and it is very profitable. Uh, and so it's sufficient because it reveals an all-sufficient Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are complete. You're complete in him. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that the Bible is always under attack. And if the Bible is our foundation for life and faith, then we must guard this doctrine of the inspiration of scriptures. And I'll close with one more quote. I know we had a lot of quotes today, but this is by C.H. Spurgeon. And Spurgeon was a Baptist. He was a Calvinist. He was Reformed. He came after John Gill. Uh, again, in, 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 in England, and uh, he had quite a battle. There was a big controversy within the Baptist churches, and, and it revolved around the authority of the Bible. And Spurgeon defended the Bible. He said, never let us forget this, that the whole of the Bible is inspired and is to be devoutly received as the infallible truth of God. Get away from this, and we have nothing left to hold by. Whatever we do, let us never give up the Bible. Those who would weaken our reverence for it are our worst enemies. Think of the devil. That's exactly what he does. He does it through uh, other people. He does it through people who claim to be smart today and tell you, you can't believe the Bible. Well, that's the voice of the evil one. These people are our worst 
enemies. All scripture, Paul says, God says, is given by inspiration of God. It takes humility, it takes faith for us to receive this, to believe it. It takes commitment. But I pray that our confidence will be built upon uh, this solid foundation. And Jesus himself taught at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that whoever builds his life on my words uh, will, uh, the storms of life may come, but that person's home, that person's house, that person's life will stand. Stand on the word and you will stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you.